Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Friday night, April 3rd edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard. This is where we discuss news, politics, and culture from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy. I'm your host, Amy Peekoff. Joining me very soon here in the studio will be cartoonist Bosch Faustin. I see a bunch of people are joining us here in the chat room. Welcome, everyone. I've got a different chat room view going over here at Blog Talk Radio today because I was having problems starting up the normal... Windows, So I'm kind of looking at this little kind of cramped view here. I don't know if I can modify it and see more of what's going on. I see Debbie. I see John. 
I see Craig, Fiona, just Jean, welcome, Joseph, Rob. I think we had someone new from Canada. Is that right? <laughs> Ron is asking uh, why why is Bosch always late? Bosch has some very important commitments that sometimes make him a little bit late. <laughs> yeah, he's fashionable. That's it. That's exactly what it is. It is fashionable. Anyway, go over to the blog at don'tletitgo.com and you can check out all the program notes of the stories that we will discuss today. As you see over there and over here, the title of today's show is We Reserve the Right to Refuse Service to Anyone. And my first question for you is, when was the last time you saw a sign that said that? We reserve the right to refuse service to anyone. When did you see that? Anyone over there? I'm seeing if people in the chat room are uh, going to tell me about this. Anyway, it's been a while since I've seen a sign like that. And in any event, what they're trying to do right now in Indiana and Arkansas is establish or reestablish, reaffirm a right to refuse service to anyone, although it seems to be on pretty narrow grounds. We are going to analyze the legislation. Uh, Nolan over on Twitter, by the way, you can follow me on Twitter and send some tweets during the show. I will try to keep up with that as well. It's just me, Amy Peekoff, at Amy Peekoff on Twitter, and uh, we can check that out. But yeah, Nolan says, hey, it would be interesting to see a philosophical analysis of the legislation itself. Uh, Having now actually read over the relevant sections of the legislation, I'm not so sure that philosophically I have anything more to say, but we can discuss a little bit of the legal aspect of it as well, and as addition to the philosophical aspect. But like I said, go over to don'tletitgo.com. This is not the only story that we have planned to discuss. We will talk about the so-called Iran deal, such as it is. From what I understand, it's a framework that they've agreed to. It's not even a full deal yet. So I'd like to see what is actually going to come of of this eventually. But yeah, go over to don'tletitgo.com and let's go ahead and get started. If you do want to chime in on any of the topics, right here in the chat room of Blog Talk Radio is a great way to do it. And you can also call 760-888-5817. So over there, we have um, a couple of stories, actually, and I think one is Washington Examiner and the other one is New York Times, both kind of commenting that the parties seem to be switching sides on this issue. So um, now apparently the Republicans are sort of divided about the legislation that's been enacted in Indiana and passed in Arkansas, and it seems that the left is completely against it. And whereas in the past, when we were talking about discrimination legislation, the you know the parties would be switched. Um, over at the Washington Examiner, the headline is, The Left Wages Total War and Then Plays Victim. And the idea is that you've got basically a few people who, you know, want to go ahead and act according to their own conscience. And it turns out that the left has pushed really hard and actually initiated lawsuits against people like that. 
Um, you know, they say uh, on the one hand, you know, you've got the CEO of the world's largest company, you know, on the left, right? The president of the United States and a growing chunk of the Fortune 500. On the other side, you've got a solo wedding photographer, a 70-year-old grandma florist in Washington, and a few bakers. And this is kind of how it uh, goes. One side wants the state to conscript the religious businesswomen and men into participating in ceremonies that violate their beliefs. The other side wants to make it possible for religious people to live their own lives according to their consciences. But now it seems that the left and the right are sort of switched because the left does not want to allow people to live according to their own consciences. Uh, The law that is at stake is, of course, the Indiana legislation that is their version of a Religious Freedom Restoration Act. If you actually go through the legislation itself, which I found the full text at a place called liberalamerica.org, the first seven sections are a bunch of definitions, and then you finally, in the Section 8, get into some of the meat of it. It says that a governmental entity may not substantially burden a person's exercise of religion, even if the burden results from a rule of general applicability. So if a rule of general applicability applicability burdens substantially someone's exercise of religion, then it's not going to be deemed to be applicable to them. There's an exemption for people who allege that a law of general applicability uh, you know, infringes on their exercise of religion. Now, the only way that you can burden an exercise of religion is if they say that there is a compelling governmental interest and the legislation that the government is putting out there is generally applicable to everyone is the least restrictive means of furthering that interest. So, for example, you know, everyone is taking this to apply to the ability of for example, a religious baker to not provide a wedding cake to a homosexual couple who is getting married. Um, so if you were going to go ahead and have a you know some legislation that would require that baker to provide the cake, you would have to say that that legislation furthers a compelling government interest and that it would be the least restrictive means of furthering that compelling interest. How would you phrase the compelling interest in a case like this? The compelling interest of having businesses treat um, homosexual couples the same way as they would treat heterosexual couples uh, is the compelling interest to make sure that a homosexual couple can get a cake baked for them. I mean, this is interesting. If homosexual marriage is legal in Indiana, you would assume that there is enough popular support for it such that any homosexual couple would be able to find somewhat conveniently, a baker who would bake a cake for them. So I don't see that you could phrase it as the interest in them getting a cake because they wouldn't be able to get a cake otherwise. Um, what? It, how would you actually even phrase what the supposed compelling interest is and how would you establish that forcing you know, bakers and photographers and whoever else would be providing services Uh, forcing them to act against their conscience is the least restrictive means of furthering the interest, I think it would be very difficult to do. Um, Then they say, okay, well, a person whose exercise of religion has been substantially burdened by a violation of the law, you know, some sort of uh, law that, you know, tells them that they need to do something that would violate their free exercise of religion, what can they do? 
they can assert the violation of this law as a defense. And they can do this even if it's not the government who is acting against them, even if it's a private citizen. So, for example, if there was an anti-discrimination law that forced a baker, a wedding photographer, you know, these different vendors, this has been kind of the concrete that everyone has been focusing on. So if there is and a homosexual couple decides to sue because supposedly the baker, the wedding photographer, whoever has discriminated against them unlawfully, then the baker, the wedding photographer could assert this Religious Freedom Restoration Act as a defense. So that's what it allows them to do. It says, look, they cannot be sued for supposedly discriminating if there is this, uh, you know, interference with their ability to exercise their religious beliefs. So that's really all this law says is that they need to be free to exercise their religion, to act according to their conscience. And if there is a law that's going to be applied to them, either directly by government or indirectly because someone's going to sue them pursuant to the law, then they need to be able to put this up as a defense. That's what this law allows them to do. In effect, this law allows religious people at least to refuse service to anyone. So is is it bad in that sense? I mean, I actually think that we should all have the right to refuse service to anyone. Why should it apply only to religious people? It was funny, earlier today, uh, welcome, Bosch, hanging out here in the studio. Aw. Um, so, and you've got your glasses on, which are just awesome. I need to put mine on, right? These, uh, the geeky glasses that I told you guys all about. Um Anyway, this this law, I mean, earlier today we were talking about the idea of religious freedom. Yeah. And you were saying, really, freedom is... Irreligious. Irreligious. Yeah. Really. It's irreligious freedom. It's about freedom. Yeah. Freedom for anyone to refuse anyone's service in their business. You know, when I was posting the title of today's show, there were people who were saying, oh, I'm going to call up and I'm going to take uh, all of your time. I'm just going to talk and talk and talk. <laughs> And, uh, you know, then when someone chimes in and says, and yeah, how is it that you have an established show on Blog Talk and I don't have a show on Blog Talk exactly. and I can't call up and just talk and say whatever? Um, no, we would re- we have the right to refuse service if people call up and they're talking about things that aren't on point and they're not part of, you know, furthering the discussion. Yes, we have the right to actually. But but here's the thing. And let me look at, you know, it, it's kind of interesting when you talk about it giving freedom only to people who are religious. As I said, the first seven sections of this legislation are definitions. So let me go ahead and find the definition that has to do with religion. Okay, this is section five. It says, as used in this chapter, exercise of religion includes any exercise of religion, whether or not compelled by or central to a system of religious belief. Okay, but it still has to be an exercise of religion, even if it's not compelled by or central to a system of religious belief. So I guess the idea is that, um, you know, you wouldn't want to have a situation in which the homosexual couple wants to sue the baker, and then the baker says, I assert my religious freedom, you know, under the Religious Freedom Restoration Act of Indiana. And then you have the homosexual couple's attorney come in and say, well, your, you know, 
you know, your assertion that you're acting on your conscience uh, with respect to homosexual marriage, it is not central to your system of religious belief and then start getting to some sort mm. of doctrinal right. analysis, right? right? They don't want to get into doctrinal analysis. So probably you'd say whatever, you know, a good faith assertion of exercise of religion Can is. the chat room normal? Yeah. Oh, you know, um, I tried to have the chat room look normal, okay. but whenever I would try to actually open that window, it would lock me entirely out of the okay. studio. So that didn't work at all. All right. Did not work at all. Well, also, um, I mean, I pointed out one thing. It's, 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 it's pretty concrete, but that cake that the gay couple wants to force the baker to make, when they eat it, are they saying, mmm, this is delicious? Are they really enjoying that cake? Can they enjoy that cake? It was under force, under government force. Right. And also their wedding vows. And a guy doesn't want to do it, and they force a guy to do it. So they're going to enjoy their wedding. Right, it's right. It's just really, really, they're not thinking things through. They think any kind of uh, discrimination is completely, you know, immoral, illegal. It's just not the case. And how about the discrimination that the Tea Party faced from the IRS, from the Obama administration? I mean, how about that? that well, and 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 force and well, and again, this is actual force, right? Because what is going on in this situation? Someone comes up and wants to place an order for a cake. In effect, in contract terms, they're making an offer. They're saying, if you bake me a certain kind of cake, I will give you a certain amount of money. And then the person says, No, I do not want to bake that cake. And you're going to say, no, I don't care if you don't want to bake that cake. And basically what we're telling people, and this is, by the way, you can go check out. Steven Crowder did a pretty funny little video where he actually went to Dearborn, Michigan. And he's not gay. He impersonated a homosexual in order to pretend that he was ordering wedding cakes from the Muslim bakeries in Dearborn, Michigan. Talk about a brave man, okay? But then he goes there and, and he analyzes also, you know, because he, he has analysis in between the clips of going to the different Muslim bakeries where they all turn him away. No, I don't want it, you know, and very, they, it never gets too crazy, but they all refuse him. They know there's a camera there also, though. Do they? Yeah, I mean, there's, okay. well, there's all the cameramen with them, so they know that they can't do what they might want to do normally. I see. You know, they might try to jump them. Who knows? Right, right. But the fact is that they will at least refuse, right? And they do oh, yeah. refuse. And oh, yeah. No, they... And, uh, Tim Cook had a huge uh, response to that to the video, and he he called Muslims uh, uh, every name in a book, right? Oh, of course. What? Canceled the whole deal with Saudi Arabia, and yeah, right? Yes, right. Yes. What? Wait, he didn't do that. <laughs> okay. No, but um, the cool thing that Crowder says, he says, look, basically what they're doing is they're trying to make as a condition of being able to do business at all that they have to Dude. serve whomever the government decides that they need it's just, to serve. It's unbelievable how this is not understood. Right. Even by some religious people, they think, well, this is a religious... No, this is the freedom to reject anything for any reason. You have any, you have every right and any reason that you choose to keep to yourself or not or not keep to yourself to refuse service. Right. And there used to be those signs. You yeah. know, we reserve the right to refuse service to anyone. Right. And right. maybe they even some additions or for any reason at all. No, and it and it should be. You know, any anyone and for any reason at all, and that's exactly properly what it should be. I was reading this week, um, 
there's an essay by Ayn Rand, and it's in The Virtue of Selfishness. It's on racism. And in that, Rand wrote this, and I went out and tweeted it through the Ayn Rand bot. By the way, if you're not following Ayn Rand bot on Twitter, why aren't you? This was my little brainchild a few years ago that I put out there, and it's got over 15,000 followers now. And I've got an excellent collection of quotations from Ayn Rand made possible only because she was excellent at saying things, significant things, wonderful things economically. Her aphorisms are second to none. Yeah, here's this one. She says, uh, government has no right to violate the right of private property by forbidding discrimination in privately owned establishments. And in, you know, the particular essay she was talking about apropos of racism, which she completely rejects as irrational, as basically uh, adhering to determinism, as an ideology for brutes, racism would be, you know. But nonetheless, politically, you would have the right to discriminate and then let the free market decide. As I said, if we're talking about Indiana and we're talking about a state in which gay marriage has been legalized, there must be enough sympathy out there for homosexual marriage so that you could find a baker to bake your cake. Absolutely. So why force the few who... Because they're totalitarians and they're like leftists and they don't want to be denied. I will not be denied when they have when they can be denied, and they everyone has a right to it. It's just it's unbelievable. Again, I mean, I I think if I had a bakery and somebody came in and I didn't like the color of her handbag, I should be able to refuse. <laughs> however to bake rational, a cake, right? however, yeah, however silly, you have the right. It is your business, and it's like, I mean, I don't know. They don't want you to have the right to refuse. You have no right to refuse me. Yes, I do. And they want to wipe out that right. And then imagine what kind of society comes from that, if that is forced for every single thing. Well, I mean, it's been established, right? We have Obamacare. Obamacare forces all of us to go out and affirmatively buy something that we did not choose to buy on the market. So if, if our federal government can force us to buy something we don't choose to buy, then why can't we put as a, quote, condition of doing, and, you know, there's already a lot of conditions for people to do business, right? So this is nothing new. It's just basically one more condition on government permitting you, giving permission for you to take the actions necessary to sustain your life. Um, You know, there was a little meme that was going around a while ago, and I think it keeps getting circulated every so often, and I forget, it was one of these free market think tanks that was putting it out there. And it was perfect. It was this. It was describing what a license is. So basically what a license is is that the government takes away your right to do something and then charges you so that you can have it back again. And in effect, we are born with the right. We are born with the right to take whatever actions are necessary to sustain our lives so long as we don't violate that right in other people as well. So that would mean on a free market, we have the right to go ahead and produce values, offer them to other people in trade and decide whether they want to do it. And so a homosexual couple, their money is as good as anybody else. 
go up to a bakery, you know, make an offer, say, I'm going to give you X amount of money if you could bake me this cake. And then the baker refuses or agrees or whatever. Everybody is free to do this. It's only when government intervenes that they say, oh, no, no, you can't just do it according to what you voluntarily choose to do. You can do it only on our terms. And this is just one more regulation. I mean, this is along the lines. I mean, it's it's exactly the same principle as Giuliani in New York saying, oh, you want to sell soda? Well, you can only sell it in these sizes of cups. Somebody wants a big 32, or is it Bloomberg? Oh, sorry, Giuliani. Oh, that's really bad because Giuliani would have not have done that at all. Bloomberg. (laughs) But Giuliani had his own problems, but not that bad. No, no, not like that at all. Not like that at all. Um, But this, you know, they're they're erecting this as, as a consideration. The only reason that I would object to this law is that it carves out the right to refuse service to anyone only for religious people on grounds of their religious practice. I think everybody should have the right to refuse service to anyone for any reason and then, of course, be held accountable for whatever their pattern and practice is of refusing service to people. And thanks to the beauty of the Internet, you know, you can say, hey, I went into such and such shop and they refuse. You go on Yelp and you give them a horrible scathing review. Person has a chance to respond if you're lying, you know, let, you know, the evidence kind of sort itself out out there and let people get a reputation. You know, uh, people who are discriminating irrationally out there are going to suffer. Our economy is hurting. One of the stories that we have for today is the depressing jobs data. Even in the New York Times, they were saying, hmm, this is not a a good sign. Yeah, but they said the economy's roaring back, right? That's that's what they said. Last quarter. By the way, there's an article, it's called uh, Freedom of Disassociation, and it was in uh, a collection. I just want to... Just, just, you just, you just, just mention it. You just want to point it out to me. Yeah. Freedom of disassociation. <laughs> I wrote years ago an essay for a collection of essays on Ayn Rand's novelette Anthem. It's called Essays on Ayn Rand's Anthem. And the title of this is Freedom of Disassociation and Anthem. And those of you who are familiar with Anthem, you know that it's a dystopian novelette and it talks about a totalitarian society of the future, and it's comparable in some ways to 1984, but there are significant essential differences due to the kind of philosophies of the authors with respect to what would a totalitarian society actually look like in the future. But one of the things about both societies is that people had very little time alone and to themselves. And so I talk in the essay about the value of being alone and being able to act according to your own judgment and decide what you're going to do apart from everyone else. Um, You know, in, in this case here, we're talking about a business owner who, you know, every so often wants to be able to say no and not actually provide service to somebody and the law is just not going to allow them to do it. But, you know, the government has no right to do this. And and I think the discussion about this has gotten jumbled up out there. So, for instance, Pendulette, right? You saw the appearance and you played me a little clip of the Lousy. appearance from Pendulette. And Penn seems to be confusing, on the one hand, the moral issue. Because morally, I think that these bakers would be wrong 
to refuse to bake the cake. But in terms of legally, politically, what they should have the right to do, I agree exactly 100% with Ayn Rand that it is not the government's place to violate the right of private property. The right of private property means that you can use and dispose of your property in any way you wish so long as you are not violating the rights of anybody else. And then you say, oh, well, don't I have a right to have a cake? No, you have a right to have a cake if you can convince somebody voluntarily to bake it for you. You do not have the right to make somebody else bake a cake when they don't want to bake a cake for you. I mean... That we have to say so bizarre. Um, so I am not. And they will make the best cake like, like, imaginable. If, yeah. Right? Make a, really, with a gun to the head, oh, I'm going to make a hell of a cake. <laughs> I mean, you, you told me a story about um, there was like a Muslim restaurant owner who said, or manager, not yeah. an owner, but a manager, who said, you can't come in here with your seeing eye Absolutely. dog. Yes, right? yes. Right? Yes, because the dogs are filthy. the guy got like the police, yeah. to make sure he could go in. And, yeah. Now, I don't want to go to a restaurant where Absolutely they don't right. want me. Absolutely right. You just I don't want people you, cooking you for me. You found out that the place is, yeah, that that's the, that that's the way the place is. They're going to put gonna food change. in front of me, I'm going to eat it, and you they don't want me there? You've got to do it against his will. So. Also, I mean, there's a, a Muslim publisher that I'm suing because he's not going to publish Pigman. And I've been, you know, Tim <laughs> Cook backed me up on uh, Twitter. And that's right. He said, you go, you know. Oh my gosh! So, uh, it was a Sunny Loman who wrote something about that. Like a Muslim, she wants a Muslim to make her bacon, and he just won't do it. And then, <laughs> and then someone wrote there that you know about Muhammad cartoons and this funny stuff. Oh yeah, you go to a, a Muslim-owned print shop yeah, and get them to print up some Muhammad exactly, cartoons yeah. for you. I mean, come on. I, I have I have only fifteen, so I'll tell them right. print me a thousand. And uh, but then know, they'll so. say, oh no no, that's different. And then if and that's different, different, then we're gonna have courts. Yes. Figuring out which is what? And Tim Cook will support me, right? Tim Cook. He'll support me, right? You know, Tim, Tim Cook said, you know, uh, we do not discriminate. I forgot to mention that. We don't discriminate against dictatorships, against anything, anyone, I mean, except for right. Indiana. I mean, so what do, what do you say overall? I mean, I, I am sympathetic with the people who say I've got no horse in this game in Indiana, so to speak, because if they did this properly, it would be... The We Reserve this, the Right to Refuse Service yeah. to Anyone Act, despite, well, yes, as opposed yes. to the Religious Freedom Restoration doing, Act. To me, despite what they're doing, they have the right to do it, and they can co- you know, coach it, couch it in religious terms. But there is no religious freedom. There's no such thing. There's freedom. They have the freedom to do it because they're, they live in a free country. They have the freedom to do to serve or not serve, not for religious reasons. But I mean, think, think, think about this: religious exemptions, and this is, of uh, course, yeah, this like, this is up before the Supreme Court right now. We're waiting for a decision. A religious exemption to certain parts of Obamacare, for example. Yes, yes. Now, I would say that as an objectivist, I actually have a more consistent, fundamental, philosophical objection to the application of Obamacare to me than any religious person does. Why? Because in the tradition of Christianity, you are your brother's keeper. So isn't it consistent with that in a way to have a uniform healthcare legislation that you know applies to everyone? Let's get everybody put into the insurance pool so that we can all be our brother's keeper in the insurance pool and bring the costs down on average for everybody, even though for the healthy people now it's going up and the sick people it's going down, you know, 
overall, right? It all just kind of evens out and, and everything's uh, hunky-dory, right? But no. So they want exemptions for some. Yeah. But I'm not going to get any exemptions because no. I'm not religious. Right. You know? They'll say, aren't you an atheist? Didn't you say on your show? A religious freedom, right? So I, this is why I think in a way I'm not very excited about it. No. I I do agree that these laws should not apply to people to force them against, you know, to act against their conscience. But I think that is true for everyone. You should be able, if you want to, irrationally discriminate yeah. for whatever reason right in the stupid. world. The right and now, and basically, what they're doing is they're elevating some reasons to discriminate over others. Yes, they are. Right. Yes. Yeah, and that's bad. But you know, this is an opportunity for us to discuss this. In rational terms, say, well, it's about freedom, mm-hmm. and we got to keep kicking that down because otherwise they're going to run with this. Oh, see, we got this freedom now, this religious freedom. Well, what's next, religious freedom? You, you do not have. We have the freedom for you to not abort. I mean, right. <laughs> we want the freedom that you know. I just, I don't know. Um, if they're celebrating that it's a religious win, that's just bad news because it's not that. It's about freedom. He says, I was talking to someone, this is Al in the chat room, he says, I was talking to someone on Facebook, and they were saying it was wrong for people to put up signs saying we don't serve gays. I had to tell them to go ahead and let them put up the signs, and you don't accidentally support someone who has values contradictory to yours. Yeah, and, you know, yeah. rational, decent human beings will look at that, be appalled, and keep walking. And right. wouldn't go there. Right. They're saying, you know, we're, we're bigots. You know, we're bigots, and if you want to be part of this, come on in. Uh, they're going to lose business. Oh, yeah. And that's and it's something about the government. A, a, pers- not a person who actually put that sign up would lose my business. They don't want to allow business. a, a yeah. business to lose business, to gain business. They want to be. They want to have a say-so somehow. You know what I mean? Just allow them to crash and burn. But they don't want to do that. Because then it says something about the marketplace and about people, and I don't know. It's, they, 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 can't, they have no say-so, in other words, if that happens. So they, they want their say-so. Right, right. And uh, Tim Cook, I mean, what an embarrassment. Absolute embarrassment. He now, doesn't understand the issue. No. He just doesn't. Uh, well, and then... Right. What, well, I mean, what was Jobs thinking, seriously? I mean, what was he thinking? Well, I guess he was going based on certain managerial abilities. Yeah, but and, but right? he was a beyond manager. Jobs, beyond a manager. Yeah. Inventor, creator, founder, everything. Tim Cook was a guy who I guess got the trains on on time, and I'm not trying to associate him with with with, with Hitler or Mussolini, but he, he maybe was a good manager in a limited way. But now he's an absolute activist. Yeah. I mean, you can't help but think of Apple now. It's been tainted. In no, ways. no, and and Jobs was not that way. He, he was, was not, not using it as an ideological no, vehicle to any. No, he's extent. not. He wanted to make mm-hmm. the best products on earth in any event no i mean and this is this is something that i think you hear from very few people the idea of just asserting without apology the idea that we should be able everybody should be able to refuse service to anyone for any reason all the time and why it is based on the right to private property the ability to use and dispose of my property according to my own judgment. You know, if there is a law, right, if there is this anti-discrimination law, right, you're going to force the baker to bake the cake, for example. Now, what what is it that you think your, your goal, 
your goal would be, I guess, you know, assuming that this is a well-intentioned law, haha. Um, the goal would be to have everybody act rationally and not discriminate for irrational reasons. But there is no way that you are achieving that goal by forcing somebody to, for example, bake a cake that they don't want to, right? Because all you're doing is you're having them do this with a gun to their head. Yes, you are. So, you know, um, one thing I've been writing up recently is I've got a little essay on uh, on discrimination, and I was saying you cannot force somebody, government cannot force somebody to act rationally. Yeah. All they can do is force someone to act. Yeah, right. Okay. So they can force them to bake the cake, but they can't force them to bake the cake out of the right motives or the right reasons. And so they're not achieving anything except for resentment and divisiveness and everything else. If you let the free market figure this out and then you shun and shame the people who engage in irrational discrimination, then you're going to actually achieve your goal. By the same token... I think that if you were to ban abortion, you are not going to achieve your goal of having fewer abortions, really. Um, If you really want to have fewer abortions, I think you go out there and you educate people and you don't ban it. All you're going to do is you're going to put it into, you know, the back alley. Yeah, make the case if you can make it. Yeah. Just make it. Try it. Yeah. If if your goal is to achieve fewer abortions and have fewer deaths, then you don't ban it. You educate, educate, educate. And um, if you want a building, and, and uh, you know Al Sharpton wants to make a, a speech there, and you say, "I don't want an Al Sharpton here," he'll call you a racist. Say, "Well, I don't want him here because he's a racist." And then back and forth, fight it back and forth. And it's really, again, against your will. There's a you know, let's say a barber. You walk in, he goes, "I don't want to cut your hair." Oh yeah, he brings a cop with him. He starts cutting the guy's hair. He, he doesn't do a great job. There's also there's there's also about the quality of the of the cakes, the quality of the haircut, the quality of these things. They don't give a damn. That's what force does. It's like I just want you to. I want I want to see you do it. It's not the you know the cake. It doesn't matter almost. I want to see you who don't who does want to do it. I want to see you do it. I want you to submit. You know, again, no, when you, that's what it is. Go, going back to the legislation, and they, I want you. To they submit. they say that we're, they're going to try to clean up this legislation or have an amendment so that it doesn't apply to discriminating against homosexuals, right? How are they going to have this law be what it is, and then describe the compelling interest that's going to be served by forcing people to bake cakes against their will? Good luck. Yeah. No wonder I haven't been able to see any text of these so-called amendments yet. If you see any text that purports to do that, let me know, because I'd love to hear how there is a compelling interest and that whatever legislation that they're going to have is going to be narrowly tailored to serve only that interest. Is your compelling interest to force all these people to behave against their will? Because you're not going to make them behave rationally. Again, rational if you're behaving rationally, you are doing so freely. It's not acting as a rational person would act at the point of a gun. No. Acting rationally means acting freely. So you're not going to make people act rationally because that cannot be done. No. It's impossible. So you know, good luck. You know what? Good luck. What can not do? They also want to live in a world where there is no discrimination, where there is no anti-gay bias, where there is – we live in that world. It is what it is. It's not. It's not as much. It's not as bad as people like to believe. But people exist, 
and you don't like it, you could be outraged all you want. You have no right to make that person act in a way that they don't want to act in. Exactly. And, and bring in the government, bring in a cop with you with a gun to the guy's head. I mean, what kind of – think about what they're doing and what they're saying. I mean, go to the next bakery. But again, it is a, it is a point of getting this person to submit. You made me feel bad. Therefore, I'm going to do something to you. You're, you're going to pay for it. I mean, it, it is so clearly about acting, you know, getting a person to act against his will. I mean, it's evil. And is it is it supposed to be retribution because yeah. gays weren't allowed to marry or something? Something. No, but, no, but, no, but they can feel the outrage. I, I, I don't, no, but if we go to you know, a place and they say, oh, they find, you're atheist, oh, we can't. Yeah, I'd be pissed. And that's that. And what are you going to do? You, well, you go to the next place. I mean, get a little, you know, I signed up on TedCruz.com or org or whatever it was um, to help out maybe with the campaign in some way. And they haven't contacted me, yeah. and they may not. Why? Because I'm an atheist. It'll be interesting and instructive if they don't. But a Tea Party group wanted me to make a poster for them, and uh, they wanted to put some, some religion in there. I, I said, actually, no. You didn't want to put the crosses on it. And that's they, right. Oh, oh, that's too bad. And but that, that's, see, no, but that's, that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. I get a little bug because I miss an opportunity for a job, but that's that. Right. That's it. Right. It's over. Yeah. Yeah. No, but it's it's. You know, they wanted to bring religion in where yeah. you didn't want to I bring said, it. Well, so I tried to make the argument. I said the Tea Party is not, I mean, I hope it's not a religious party. It's a political party. Right. Now let's talk about the Iran nuke agreement. Yeah. By the way, at the beginning I played Moment of Surrender. Right. I, I really wonder if the whole thing is an April Fool's joke because it doesn't seem to be like well, any sort Iranians of agreement at all. Well, dancing in the streets. So that whenever Muslims are dancing in the streets, some, an atrocity happened or something is terrible is going to happen. And that might be a, a bad omen right there. Whenever Muslims are dancing in the streets, it never happens. But when they do, watch out. As I understand it, all we have is a so-called detailed framework. And we don't even have really you know a deal yet. You know what, hey, you it, know what? It, I, didn't, I didn't notice. I think that page. our no, no, no. caller went Sorry, ahead the and wanted to get It's a blank page. And they say, okay, fill it up. Fill whatever, it up. Whatever you want. Fill it up with some junk. Hi, I wanted to grab you before we went on to another topic. Um, is this Debbie? Yeah, hi, this is Debbie. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Um, so, yeah, I, I was calling about the, the previous topic, the, or, right. you know, the, the topic of the, of the Indiana law. And um, I can't remember the exact verbatim, but Ayn Rand said something like, a wrong premise achieves its opposite. And um, in context of this law, one thing that I constantly heard put forward, remember in California when they had a vote on Prop 8, which was to either allow or ban gay marriage, and mm-hmm. and, uh, and that's just, just a, such an outrageous thing. But one of, the, one of the, the closest to plausible arguments that people were putting forward who were against gay marriage was, well, as soon as they get gay marriage, they're going to start trying to force it down our throats in various ways, and they're going to start teaching it in the schools and blah, blah, blah. And so they're going to sort of like put their homosexuality in our face and impose it on us in certain ways. And I thought right. at the time, like, that's ridiculous. And anyway, even if they did do that, the issue is that that doesn't justify banning gay marriage. The issue is that the government shouldn't be involved in schools or whatever the issue is, right. uh, whatever the case may be. But here we are with these um these people trying to force uh 
the bakers and whatnot to bake cakes for gay couples who are getting married. So this is the exact scenario that was being described by the opponents of gay right. marriage. And it's just going to add fuel to their argument. Those who oppose gay marriage, they're going to say, look, look what happens when you make gay marriage legal. Mm. So I think that these people who call themselves liberals, which is ridiculous because yep. forcing your agenda on people is not liberal, right. they're actually they're actually strengthening the case of the people who would discriminate against gays, which they're ostensibly against. Yeah, no, I th- I think I think that you're right, but of course it's within today's context where such sort of anti-discrimination laws and everything are already there, already the norm. So why don't we go ahead and bring them to bear in this new context that has been made available due to marriage? Um, it it's really really a sticky situation, and and I agree. I mean, you know, in in some ways maybe these groups are shooting themselves in the foot because. There's going to be other states in the United States where the referendum is coming up to allow, you know, hom- you know, homosexual marriage or not, and maybe people are going to say, "Oh, look what happened in Indiana and this whole legal battle. We don't really want that." So, whereas I might have been sympathetic and just said, "You know, let everybody do what they want," right? Um, they're they're not happy just letting everybody do what they want, right? So it's yeah, um, it's. It is. It's a. It's, it's a complete mess. <sighs> yep. It's just you know another example also of just the self-destructiveness of evil. They're 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 hurting themselves. They're just they're just contradicting them, their their alleged uh, principles, and they're shooting themselves in the foot. And they're going to end up accomplishing nothing good. I'm just wondering, why why isn't there anybody out there like us, right? Why aren't they out there like us saying, hey, um, we want the right to refuse service to anyone too. You know, that's really, if they want to be principled and consistent in their opposition to this legislation, they need to say, why is it that only religious people for religious reasons can discriminate. Gillette could Let's, have said that, but he just chose to be really silly. And he's, he's an atheist. He's an atheist. He's an atheist. Yeah, he was lousy. I mean, it sucked. Yeah. Well, that's because I think, again, I think he was getting confused the moral issue versus the political yeah. issue. And he wants to. Yeah. He wants everybody to know, of course, and I've said here, you know, many times, I would not discriminate against no. homosexuals. I would bake the cake or do whatever. You know, it's fine. Um, but... You know, nonetheless, Some I think people people, people should won't. have their people should have their right to do it. And whatever mm-hmm. reason they they give, however rational, that's their right. Yeah. Have you have you heard any of the commentators uh, actually make a principled stand on this, Debbie? Mm, well, only partially, but um, so well, yeah. First of all, I totally agree. Like, what does Tim Cook instead of of this? Uh, instead of protesting the law because he wants to force people not to be able to discriminate against gays, what if mm-hmm. instead he was protesting the fact that the law only applies to religious people? But, right. yeah, as far as commentators, um, I did hear Adam Carolla say something, not about this issue, but about something similar that involved racism. And, and he said something like, um, well... I don't think the government needs to get involved. I think people should just police themselves. 
And if there's a business that doesn't want to serve blacks or whatever, I can't remember what the context was. It had something to do with university. Uh, then in that case, people should shame them and refuse to deal with them and then take, deal with the issue that way instead of the government right. getting involved. Exactly. So, in, I mean, at least on principle, he was on the right side of that issue, but then um, it, this particular issue was brought up on one of the recent shows, and he didn't really say anything one way or the other. He just um, said nothing nothing of substance. So. By the way, Debbie, did you hear what Mark Levin said at all? I mean, I haven't listened to him. I'm just curious if you did. If, uh, no, I, I haven't listened to Mark Levin very much at all yeah. lately. I fear so the worst. I don't know. I yeah. anticipate he's it's something silly. But, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think you're probably right because he yeah. he really goes off the rails when it comes to stuff that deals with religion. Yeah, he loses his mind. He does. Bummer, bummer. Okay, well, Debbie, thank you for calling and uh, and sharing that. And we're going to go ahead and talk about this wonderful Iran deal. Um, so, what was that about Mark Levin? If, if no one heard, check out the way he took a, an atheist to task, a respectful atheist. Right. He just ripped him a new one. He really because did. he was an atheist. But right. anyway, I wish you remembered the date of the show because that would be instructive. No, basically, he had um, he uh, Mark Levin had um, what do you call? It? He had a a cutoff thing for presidential candidates. They must believe in God. A litmus test. Yeah, a li- li- yes. litmus test. And, litmus and test, then a yeah. guy called up, look, Mark, I, I love your show, but But why would you really do this? Too- exactly. So he just he completely disrespected the guy. It went on, it went on for minutes and minutes, and right. he smeared him. Right. Terrible. Right. So let's talk a little bit just about the nuke deal for a second. And, um, I mean, really, first of all, they say it's a framework, and I don't think it's a completely full, detailed deal anyway. But Krauthammer has apparently done a good analysis of why this deal is a terrible deal. And there's two essential elements. One of them is that, of course, under the deal, we are going to remove all of these sanctions. And apparently Obama wants to keep open the idea that if the Iranians are cheating in the deal with whatever little they are promising, then we're supposed to be able to go ahead and put the sanctions back on. But Krauthammer is observing that if we are going to reapply the sanctions. He thinks that there's no chance that the other countries who were in on the sanctions with us, the Chinese, the Russians, the Europeans, he says there's no chance that they're going to snap on the sanctions again. He says we would be acting alone. We would be completely isolated. So Obama's putting us in that position. So then he says, number one, the Iranians are going to get their economy back, and that's all they really wanted, right, because they want the money to continue their nuclear program. And then he says, second, he says, and I'm just quoting directly from uh, Krauthammer via The Blaze. He says, the most astonishing thing is that in return, they are not closing a single nuclear facility. He says their entire nuclear infrastructure is intact. And Obama knows that. Yes. Obama wants them to get nukes. He wants an even playing field, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Iran has nukes. We got nukes. Israel has nukes. Hey, it's all it's all fair. Yep. So he says it's the whole infrastructure is there. Free countries, dictatorships. And, he, sa- and he says That's either he says either for a breakout after the agreement expires, or when they have enough sanctions relief and they want to cheat and break out on their own, they're all ready to go. And of course, Netanyahu has hammered the agreement, 
saying that it would, quote, threaten the survival of Israel, increase the chances of a horrific war. Obviously, Netanyahu is saying the right thing. We would like to see him do the right thing in the event that this deal is actually concluded. Um, I think we should give them uh, a nuke, Iran. I mean, a, a live one, but, you know, just to say you, you, want, you, you wanted a nuclear you weapon? 30 years, 30 years here. Oh, <laughs> Sorry, we gave it to you not the way that you wanted. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is, you know, this is what, of course, Ambassador, former UN Ambassador John Bolton said, the only way to stop them is to actually bomb, bomb them. them. Uh, bomb so them. right on the heels of this so-called agreement, and then I guess there was a some like a press release by our government about the agreement itself, Iran comes out right away and accuses us of lying about the nuke agreement. So... Considering that the agreement isn't fully concluded yet, and at the very outset, they're accusing us of lying about the agreement, how do you think this is going to go? What do you think their compliance is well, going to be like? Lying. you got liars on both sides. Mm-hmm. And you know what? They're, they're all, they're all, they're, they can be each other. Who hates America more, the Obama administration or Iran? Right. I mean, the, the, the whole thing is, if, if Obama's happy with this, and John Kerry's happy with this, and Iran's happy with this, we're, we're in deep trouble. You know, because it seems like they're all happy with this. Yes. And apparently one of their foreign, he's a, the Iranian foreign minister, his name is Javad Zarif, he bragged in a press conference with reporters that the United States had tentatively agreed to let it continue the enrichment of uranium, the key component in a nuclear bomb, as well as key nuclear research. He additionally said that Iran would have all nuclear-related sanctions lifted once a final deal is signed and that the country would not be forced to shut down any of its currently operating nuclear installations, etc. Uh, following a subsequent press conference by John Kerry, release of the administration fact sheet, he lashed out on Twitter over what he dubbed lies. So, obviously, they are not on the same page with regard to what they've She's actually agreed to. Yeah, he goes out on Twitter. This one dictator tool. So, um, I mean, no, but what, know, whatever something here. If, if there is a deal, it is bad. No, and also, Iran mm-hmm. is, is is in a situation where they know what should be happening to them is be bombed. They've been threatening us for thirty years. They've killed Americans. They know that they should be bombed. So, since they're not being bombed, they're going to try to milk us for everything they possibly can. In the meantime, you know what I mean? Right. Like, since they're not doing what they ought to be doing, which is wiping us out, we're going to make them. <laughs> Submit to every possible thing they want to. And they're going to abide. Oh, yeah. No, Joseph over here in the chat room says, Obama has stepped down lower on the ladder of evil with this so-called nuke deal with that evil regime. Yeah, it seems like it's just it's so obvious. It's just, you know, we knew he's evil. We know he's up to no good. But this is just the ultimate I think needless to move. As, as far as he's I, arming, I mean, our you know, again, we can, we can always ask that simple question that we've asked so many times with respect to Obama. If he wanted to make sure that Iran got a nuclear weapon in today's world, would he do anything differently yeah. than he was doing right now? And that's the whole thing. No. He's uh, allowing them uh, to have one. He's ensuring that they can have a nuke. Yes. Ensuring yeah. it. And and this and he would. He'd have to do it exactly this way, right? Because he With could. With full pretense. He, yeah. He he'd have to pretend that he's trying to prevent them from getting the nuke. And make sure that everybody else is on board with the deal that is out there, but get everybody else to also remove their sanctions. 
And so therefore allow the money to flow into the Iranian economy and continue to support the nuclear program, right? Try to reassure Israel that everything's going to be okay. And why are we working with them? This is a dictatorship that calls for death yeah. to America. No, 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 death to America. No, but what's their, and in all seriousness, I'm, I'm being very serious here. What is the interest now? It's, it's a top story all over the world. What is the interest to work with a dictatorship that wants Americans dead and Israel wiped out? You know, what is their no, but what's their given reason? That I begins? know, and this this is the thing. I mean, we're sitting here talking about this. Let me ask you this, Bosh. Does it actually sink in? Can we actually let it sink in that this is our president and this is what he's doing to us today? I mean, when you compare him to Reagan, Reagan would never have anybody sit never. across the table from no. these people and discuss them getting Reagan. nuclear weapons. And people say, well, he's and this with is, Russia. And, that, and that's what Russia we grew up with. We suicidal. grew up with the idea of Reagan. Yeah. Russia is not suicidal. Protecting us. He did, you know. A president that protects us. Um, yeah, Presidents have, are supposed to protect you us. You have to stop and, and think, like, Wow. And you're just reminded how evil he is. It's not but, like, oh, my God, he's evil. It's but, like, no, you're reminded how evil. But my point is, I mean, there's so many of us who talk about this on a political level. But I think you you actually can't let it sink in. And I think you would just start crying if you did because th- the president is supposed to protect us from people who go out there and chant death to America. Yeah. He's this, out to get us. Iran is out to get us. They're teaming up against us is what it comes down to. I mean, he's aligned. But, but no, again, you know, I, he's I, aligned with Iran against America. I think. I think my question is unanswerable. If you were Obama and you wanted to do everything possible to ensure that Iran does get a nuclear weapon today in today's world, in the context, you know, you have to pretend you're the president. Would you do anything differently than what he's doing right now? No, you would do exactly what he's doing yep. right now. That is what you would do. And also, um, you know, lifting Iran up to the point where they come off like a legitimate country, where they can be worked with. Yeah. These savages. Yep, yep. They're good for nothing. Let's go ahead and take a call. Hello, you're on the air. Yeah, this is Greg calling from Nashville. Hi, welcome. Thank you. Um, well, first of all, I'm going to state the obvious. Uh, Ayn Rand, I believe, left the most worthy literary legacy of the last century, if not the last two centuries. Uh, I that's agree. Just, that's just me. <laughs> and uh, the question would be, why? Why do you say that, caller? Uh, because she forced me to ask, why am I being suppressed, and why do I allow the suppression to continue? And that led me on an amazing journey, so... I think that's a, a pretty cool question to ask. And uh, I've, th- I've been in the money business for 15 years, and, and her teachings mm-hmm. on capitalism just absolutely um, just blew the lid off, you know, kind of where I was and not not what I had been led to believe because I was always open-minded, but just it just sort of took me to that next level. And uh, I love her teachings on capitalism and free market. And um, I, I, this is more of a comment than a question. Okay, I, okay. It just tiringly sickens me to hear educated people just talk about free market and capitalism. And they know absolutely nothing of that definition. And, and, and I don't – I'm like – I want to I want to explain something to you, but then again, there's sort of this argument that goes on, and I don't go there. I don't like to argue, 
but mm-hmm. it's, it's painful to hear highly educated people speak of what they believe capitalism and free market is a free market is and based on those definitions they move forward in their assumptions and the way they move in into their experience and i think we all do that to a, to an extreme level but um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, the, the I mean, the biggest example is when our politicians, especially liberal politicians, try to say that we have had capitalism any time in the recent past, and that basically we've given capitalism a try, and obviously it hasn't worked. When all that we've had for decades upon decades now is a mixed economy with a whole bunch of government intervention. And it's yeah. government intervention that are, that's causing the ills that they point to, and yet they yeah. say no, no, no. It was capitalism that caused that. It was the free market that caused that. They no people have no idea what a free market is. So, I mean, one thing I was going to ask you. You said you've been working in uh, financial services or the financial services industry for about fifteen years. You said, yeah. yeah. So, doesn't it just gall you on a daily basis that you're not working in a free market, and that when you have to do your job? You're having to, in effect, you know, you're like the the mouse in the little obstacle course maze or whatever, as opposed to taking the straight path towards, you know, enhancing someone's wealth, for example. Uh, I, I it it really it was a struggle for me because I I got into the money business in 2000, and mm-hmm. I didn't bump into Ayn Rand until I would say shortly after that. Not oh, okay. okay. I'm just guessing. so you so you you weren't in the industry knowing no. the full truth no. at the time. Okay, see, I, I think that would be very difficult. That would be very yeah. difficult. It was, and and the thing is, is um, I got in the money business probably around 2000 ish, and then um, I, I was sort of pre-awakened at the time, but started really grooving heavily on like Ayn Rand teachings and a lot of different things. All that aside. And then there was this like angst because I wanted to teach people the truth about not only what a free market really is and what capitalism really is, and and just the whole facade of the of the of the Federal Reserve and 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 you, you well know these things. But and the, and then a good friend of mine said, "Look," he said, "You know, don't just jump out. You know, this is how you make your living. You're not deceiving people." You help people get what they want, which is typically a residential mortgage. That's typically what I deal with. And he said, right. just sort of hang with this. And and it took me a long time because in my day job, I teach people. I don't teach people. I just help people get what they want, which is a loan. Uh, right. You know, very high grade, none of the crazy stuff. But in my spare time, I teach them, look, you, you don't have to do this for 30 years. You can get out very quickly, five to seven on average. And it took me a while to sort of balance that. And I'm just the reason why I'm saying all this is because without, as an example, Ayn Rand's writings, I would not have had that mental sort of thing in my mind where I could say, "You can do this. You can balance these two things." And and at first I felt like I was a, a tiny bit of a traitor. You know, you're not doing what you teach. But then it was, I mean, it's almost. I hate to use this example. Someone could say, look, if you're against debt, which I'm not, it can be a tool. It can be very useful. Someone could mm-hmm. say, look, if you're against debt, which I'm not, um, then why do you help people go into it? All I can say is, is I try to help them if they even ask me, which they normally don't, how to do it 
in the most aware way and the most um, the smartest way humanly possible for them, and to and to get out of it as quickly as possible. And even then, knowing what I know about what Ayn Rand taught, uh, which to me is amazingly important to humanity, minus all of these other um, economic idiots who have paraded right. themselves across right. the stage. Um, the bottom line is this. I'm 46 years old. Debt is not going anywhere right. in my lifetime. So I just try to help people just sort of do it in the most conscious way humanly possible, if that makes well, sense. It, no, it, and, and it sounds like you're doing a, a great deal, and, and I, uh, I, I thank you for your call. And uh, I'm glad that you're trying to go out there and educate people how to uh, how to do debt in in the proper way. So let's go ahead on to yeah. a couple more topics. So we're we're already yeah. actually beyond the time yeah, that we, we wanted. Back, back on track. We have a few more stories. Yeah, we have a few more stories. We're gonna do. Spe- speaking of of the economy, I'll just go ahead and skip to this one. Our U.S. economy apparently gained, and you know how do they count these jobs? Who knows? But it gained 126 thousand jobs in March, which is, yeah, who knows what kind of jobs, right? Uh, And again, you'd have to actually know how to properly read a jobs report in order to parse all of this. But even the New York Times, in a headline, is characterizing this as an abrupt slowdown in hiring. Now, notice that they, I think they posted it only this afternoon today. So it comes on Friday, and then it just kind of supposed to dribble out over the weekend and people aren't supposed to get too upset about it, right? But they say the year-long streak of robust monthly job creation was broken on Friday with the Labor Department's report that employers added just 126,000 workers in March, a market slowdown in hiring that echoed earlier signs that sluggish business investment and punishing weather were exacting a toll on the economy. Now, of course, they like to put the weather in there, right? Because the weather is something that will blame its climate change fault, right? Analysts blame the plunge in oil prices as well as the pall cast by difficult winter across the Northeast and Midwest, a combination that put a crimp on spending in the energy patch and held back consumer spending and construction. Uh, but they're saying, you know, it's a new report, it's only a limited snapshot. Of course, it's going to get up or downgraded later, usually downgraded, right? Um, but they're saying the unemployment rate is still holding steady, which means, right, that it's still just as bad. And, and what's the real unemployment rate? I'm sure it's oh, yeah. insane. Hourly wages rose 0.3%. Hmm. So I wonder if uh, there's some kind of new minimum wage laws that are having anything to do in here. The slowdown in job creation reinvigorated the debate about when the Federal Reserve is going to raise rates. So, see, some people are happy about this because they say, well, now the Fed's not going to raise the rates. Mm-hmm. Point being, this economy is being propped up by artificial money manipulation, probably more than anything. And I always think it's really weird when they say, well, we're not creating as much jobs because oil is cheaper. Mm-hmm. It's like, Okay, oil's cheaper. That should make it easier for other people to produce. So in what kind of weird warped economy are we such that a lower oil price is bad news? And we've had that discussion before. It's very hard uh, to understand. Let's uh, talk a little bit. This is just a snapshot on government schools. And it's a story from New York Times I just saw today as I went and glanced there. Headline is this, parents and teachers meet 
in a New York minute, and paren in the parentheses it says, or five if they're lucky. And the whole story is about the fact that in the government schools in Manhattan, they are allowed to have only five minutes with parent-teacher conferences because the teachers have so many students, you get only five minutes. They say in middle and high school, most New York City public school teachers have at least 150 students. And so the few hours each year set aside for formal conferences become an exercise in orderly chaos. Parents must bolt from one floor to another lest they miss their strategically chosen time slots based on a mental algorithm of distance between rooms and the demand for each teacher. Students enjoying a touch of power stand sentry at the doorways, telling parents when their five minutes or usually less are up. Teachers must be prepared to summarize any of their students at any moment, and occasionally they describe the wrong one. Imagine that when there's 150 of them. Use their use your time wisely, said an email to the sent to the parents at the middle school in Brooklyn, which encouraged them to prioritize to space out appointments and to keep time by their cell phones to avoid being late. Due to time constraints, all conferences are strictly limited to three minutes each, end quote. Abolish government schools. Yeah. That's all I have to say reason. for that one. This is just the one more reason that government should have nothing to do with education. Let me talk to you about something that is going to affect me personally this year, as I understand it. Jerry Brown has ordered California's first mandatory water restrictions. He says, quote, it's a different world. And he had a press conference, and he had it on Wednesday, so you might have thought he was joking, but apparently he was not joking. By the way, you knew we were joking, right? We sent out that petition about... Please sign our petition so that Obama can get another term. I also said I reverted to Islam. I, th- I thought it was really good. It worked super well because uh, we got a whole sign-up for our, our sign-up uh, list, our email list. So we got a bunch of you to sign up for that. And I assume you were not signing up to have Obama get a, a third term. So thanks for doing that. But no, um, Jerry Brown was not joking. I was joking. Jerry Brown was not joking. And... He said, I guess last year he wanted everyone to have a 20% voluntary cut in water. And now they want a 25% mandatory cut. We are supposed to, in California, all cut our water usage by one quarter. Now listen to this. This is, this is how you know that Jerry Brown is evil. This is the real root of this story. I'm reading from the LA Times. And again, if you go go to my blog at don'tletgo.com, don'tletgo.com is where we've got the links to all the stories that we've talked about today. But this is the LA Times story. He says the order the order focused on urban life even though agriculture accounts for roughly 3 quarters of Californians' water usage. He's focusing on urban life. Why? Because it's exactly the same motive as the liberals who want to force the religious bakers to bake the cake. Jerry Brown wants to control me and my showering habits. Yep. The gall of this man. Yeah. They, you know, they want to close him. He says... To whatever it, extent. So agriculture accounts for three-quarters of the usage, but the order focuses on urban life. 
He's telling cities what they have to do, people what they have to do. Cities have to stop watering the median strips that run down the middle of roads. All those nice strips paid for with your tax dollars, all the vegetation, it's all going to die. He says the state will partner with local agencies to remove 50 million square feet of grass, the equivalent of about 1,150 football fields, and replace it with drought-tolerant landscaping. That means tax dollars are going to be used not to just pay for water, actually fix the water problem. Instead, they want to pay people to dig up all this stuff and put new. So imagine what a boon this is for what they call zero-scape landscaping people. State agencies are going to create a temporary rebate program to encourage homeowners to replace water-guzzling appliances with high-efficiency ones. Golf courses, campuses, and cemeteries must cut their water use. New developments are going to have to install drip or microspray systems, blah, 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 blah. What I want to know is if he is going to purchase for me some artificial turf from my backyard. Because I don't have the money to redo my backyard like with pavement or zero scape or whatever. I have grass. I run dogs on grass. So basically he's saying I have to let my grass die. Otherwise, I'm going to pay some horrible fine. And, you know, I integrated with a story that Tammy Bruce talked about on her show today. Tammy Bruce talked about the story in which the state of California has been ordered to pay for the sex change of an inmate. And it is a horrific story, right? Because it is a man who had been, I think, accused of and or convicted of domestic violence. The crime that he's in for is murder. So he probably murdered a girlfriend, wife, whoever, right? And he is in an all-male prison with good reason. He is going to change to a female, which would require him to be shipped to a female prison where all the women who would be his victims would be right there, right? So not only will we pay for this or also, scum. Or also this. Yeah. So I was saying. Because next change, then he'll just be bigger. He can protect himself more. Right. From the, from the prison, from the inmates. Yes. Disgusting. So basically, um, and why what, what's going to happen is the fine that I'm paying to water my grass, for example, would go to this person's sex change. I mean, you know when, what do you think? Um, well, you know when Obama says we're asking people to, more, to pay more taxes, is the government going to ask the taxpayer, hey, we want to give this uh, uh, criminal a sex change. Can you help us out? <laughs> Are they going to ask us? Because, I mean, they say sometimes, Obama says, you know, we're asking people to pay more taxes, right? They're asking, that's all. Yes. Right? Oh, yeah. And... Um, also, Harry, Harry Reid, who's on his way out, the scum, said that tax, taxing is voluntary. Okay. <laughs> yeah, paying taxes is voluntary. And even a guy who I guess is on his side, like, had to ask him again. You know what? Maybe it is voluntary for him. Well, How many politicians have gotten out of interesting, problems interesting with taxes? He, he probably slipped up because yeah. he's a... Uh, so much richer than he ever would have been if he wasn't in politics. How did he become rich? Through politics? No. Wheeling and dealing and scheming yeah. behind the scenes and pressuring companies and who knows what. So I think you're right. I think I think he slipped. He's like, well, for me, it's voluntary. In Australia, you're almost expected to have tanks, oh my gosh, to gather your own rainwater. 
That is crazy stuff. Could I install a water tank? You know, I bet if I tried to do that, they would say something was bad. But you know what's interesting? Um, I, Jerry, I, Jerry swear, Brown shirts, is I swear that I'm charged not only for water, but I think I'm also charged for runoff so that if it rains a lot and then, of course, water runs off my land and goes into the sewer, I think I'm charged for that too. So if I'm charged for that, I think I should be able to collect it mm-hmm. in a tank. Wouldn't that be awesome? So collect it in a tank and then water. But, of course, if I collected water in a tank, if I didn't do it right, I'd get mosquitoes. Mm. Blech. I don't know. I mean, it's, just, it's incredible. It, it is a bad thing. Uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that um, Islamic terrorism, which doesn't pose any yeah. existential threat to the United yes, States, according right? To, uh, uh, acor- acor- according to the Cato guys, yeah. right? Um, in New York City... There were two Muslim women who were inspired by Islamic State, and they have been arrested for trying to build a bomb in New York City. And one of them apparently, I think, was quoted as saying, oh, you don't have to go over to the Middle East in order to do something good for Allah. You can do it right here in the United States. But no, no, no. Terrorism doesn't ex- doesn't pose an existential threat. It's just, you know, I'm so sorry for the poor people few people, you know, hundreds of people, thousands of people who are going to get blown up yeah. by these women, um, you know, the people in Boston, right, the people at the you Boston know, what's uh, Marathon. That, what's important is that ISIS has nothing to, to do with Islam. Right. That's the important thing. Right. So, yeah, just, again, check out the links at my blog at don'tletitgo.com. The other thing that I have, and I just, I've got a few things on Ted Cruz and, you know, do we go for Ted Cruz or do you go for Jeb Bush? The unity candidate, who I don't know why everybody wants to unify around yeah, Jeb Bush. Uh, unify what? Everyone's equally sick to their he, stomach about yeah, him. Is he, that what it is? We can all be equally yeah, sick to our stomach? He's not unified himself. Um, there is, and I had to put it there, but I'm not going to play it. There is uh, Ted Cruz's new television commercial, and it starts out, isn't it? Is it Jesus is the first word? He's running for Pope of Texas, I think. I don't know. No, it's heavily, heavily, a heavily religious. Now it is. It commercial. is uh, Good Friday. It's Easter this weekend. Right. You know, but again, I think he made made some deal with some evangelicals, and they told him push it, push it, push it, and pays back later on. I mean, you could parse it. You could parse it because he says basically that if. The love of Jesus hadn't come into yeah. his father's life then. So he has an objective, so, you know. You know <laughs> okay, so he's basically saying that this played a big role in his life without necessarily talking there, about his for the secular out own there. personal, right? <laughs> my father came back because Jesus. I mean, he, my father, my, the guy that actually exists, came back right. in my life because of Jesus. Right. right. But, I mean, I just, look, he's been good. And you know he's he's still doing well. He's actually doing. A I'm just I'm just saying you you can't not no, look at something no like way. this. You can't evade. Uh, this is there. Of course, this is there. No doubt about it. And yeah. it's to me it's too much. He's a politician. Stick to it. Right. Enough. Right. Really. We understand you believe in God. We understand you're very religious. You know, pull back. You're running for president, not pope. There are two new polls that apparently show that Ted Cruz has made it into the top tier of the 2016 field. So his entering the race early has had what I presume is the desired effect of to. getting the name recognition. We told him two months we, ago. On this we show, said, we told him Ted, get out there before everyone. Okay. Why wait? We know you're going to run. Do it. So Just do it. And he did it. Um, 
<laughs> there's one article that says the mainstream media has a serious Ted Cruz problem. I mean, they've, they all have to interview him because he's the only one that's out there at this point. But I, I did want to talk, and, oh, and actually, but the, the awesome news, of course, is what he said he's going to say. His first, mm-hmm. his first act, what his first act of president will be. Now, you would, you might say, I would want his first act to be to repeal yeah. Obamacare. But this is actually better because it's something he can do entirely on his own. Yes. His first act as president will be to undo Obama's unconstitutional executive orders. I love that. The idea of, you know, what can be done with a pen and the phone can be undone with the pen. He doesn't have to be on the phone. He'll probably be on the camera to all Americans. What can be done with uh, live by the pen, die by the pen. Right. Um, even Jeb Bush supporters, we hear, are not very enthusiastic about his well, candidacy. Well, his mother doesn't want him to run. She goes, enough Bushes. Enough Bushes. You know what I mean? She said this. She's on record. Enough but I, Bushes. You know, that, this is the only way in which I could think Jeb Bush is unifying. We, so we talked last time about the fact that his foundation is putting out their online courses right. that support Common Core. Yes. Again, support government you know, involvement in school. Also, I mean, I mean, domestically he's terrible, but you know he's an Islamophile as well, just like his brother. And you know it, and his, and his father. I do have a link, and I do want to spend the last uh, couple minutes or so talking about this. There's Greg Gutfeld, as we know, has been basically coming out in favor of unity and against Ted Cruz, in effect, and Ted Cruz is only in it for him and all this. Now, he has a piece this week, and it's called Confessions of a Self-Conscious Conservative. And he basically talks about, oh, yeah, when you're new to an ideology and you're eager, you're just like over-eager, you know, you're self-conscious in his word. And I used to be like that, but now I've grown up. And, you know, we know that, you know, and let me just read you a little bit from me. He says, sooner rather than later, a sensible person has to realize that being a self-conscious conservative is not so much a winning strategy, a method of persuasion, than it is an exercise in, quote, look at me and how much more strongly I feel about something than you do, end quote. And he says, it's a noisemaker, not a poisemaker. Now, uh, you can you can read it for yourself. It sounds very clever. Well, it's and, not. And, and, and let me Doesn't tell you, I, that's a, that's a terrible, uh, I, line. I, I agree with a lot of things that Greg says. I also owe Greg for introducing me to the Sarno book, which has really helped my back oh, yeah. a lot. But I, I strongly disagree with him here. And you can go read the piece for yourself. It can be a little bit difficult you can to read it to because all subjectivists he, and whatnot. But he's 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 consciously about right. about but, concerns. But he's 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 speaking around things as opposed to nailing yeah. on the head directly. But let me tell you what Gutfeld is confusing. He is confusing two things. On the one hand, there really is a phenomenon of somebody coming into a new ideology. This happens in objectivism too. And then you decide that you've got to go out and point out everybody else's flaws and foibles and be the total jerk. You know. Now, there's a, a lecture course that Leonard Peikoff gave years ago, and I believe the title is Judging and Feeling but Not Being Moralistic. And the idea is to realize, to actually be objective about when you need to go out there and pronounce judgment. It is true that all the time in your own mind, you need to pronounce moral judgment about 
people with whom you have any significant involvement. And you need to, of course, be aware of whether this person is going to be good for your life or bad for your life. This is a moral necessity. But the idea of always being required to go out there and pronounce judgment vocally and go out there and say, okay, you know, and I believe this. And you, there's so many contexts in which it is just not objectively necessary for you to say whatever controversial belief you have in a particular moment because it's not, you know, in that context, it's not understood that anybody who sits there quietly therefore agrees with everybody else and everything that's being said, right? So the point is, is basically when you are new and enthusiastic, sometimes you don't judge the context correctly and you go out pronouncing your beliefs and denouncing people way too much. That's true. And and Gutfeld is talking about this. But so what? But, so but, but, right, right, right. But then he conflates that with something else entirely. He conflates that with having integrity. Yes, he does. Right? Because it's one thing to unnecessarily go out there and pronounce judgments and be controversial, but it's a quite a different thing to give up your what some people think are extreme, but nonetheless correct and just and right views on issues and positions on issues. So there are some contexts in which it is absolutely necessary to take a stand and it is absolutely necessary to let people know where you stand. So for example, I think it is important if for a candidate to go out there and say, my goal is to repeal every single word of Obamacare. That means something to all of us who know that Obamacare is a horrible injustice. Uh, Gutfeld himself was vehemently opposed to Obamacare. But how could you not then find it important to hear from a candidate's lips that he vows to repeal every single word of Obamacare? Just for example, because right? Because can't stand those who take stands. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Right. He, and, and also they put him off, people with integrity. With clear, obvious integrity. So he lives on the fence. That's his address, you know. And he will die on the fence. Now he does not want to be labeled. Does not does not want to be does not want to take any particular position. This whole thing was basically reject Cruz, accept Jeb Bush, because at the end he's talking about the Republican Party. He's not talking about things generally. He's talking about the party. I mean, if you notice, he's talking, talking, writing all, and yeah. then he, and they talk about party. It's just all about a political party. How hackish is that? Yes. Yeah. So he says basically, reject Cruz, accept, yeah, you might not like him, but accept Jeb Bush. No, but but the idea is Unify. that, the, the idea is that um, you know, Jeb Bush really is conservative, <laughs> however we define yeah. that these days. Yeah. He really is. It's just, he doesn't pronounce it yes. as loudly yes. as Tez Cruz yes. does. Right. And no, it and no, it is not that. So again, let's, let's, let's just think about, you know, the one issue of Common Core. Yeah. Jeb Bush's foundation offers online courses promoting defending Common Core. Ted Cruz vows to repeal every single word of Common Core. This is not just blustering. This is, no, this is actually taking a principled position. So there's taking a principled position. Now you could say, I mean, give, give me situations. I don't know if it's true, but show me. Has Ted Cruz kind of gone out there? Maybe, um, Maybe Gutfeld finds it sort of annoying, as we do sometimes, that Cruz is pushing the religious conservative yeah, line too much. Because uh, Greg Gutfeld, you know. But you know this idea that you're yeah. that you're going to go for the milk toast Jeb Bush, and again, there is no such thing as milk toast in this context because milk toast means 
compromising with statism, and, and statism is anti-life. So this, you know this, is, you know this is garbage. The conversation when it brings up the fact of how McCain and, and Robbie lost, because what we needed was a charismatic, and, a, and you know what? We have that. And he was trying to, to dismiss the idea that, that it exists. And now, since, since there is one, he's going to dismiss him for what purpose? Because he doesn't, something about him puts him off, and that's his problem. He's trying to make his problem our problem, and tell us, guys, I want you know what I mean. I want you to basically tell us how to vote, right? And that's terrible. I mean, that's real. That's a political hack. Guys, well, vote the way I think you should vote. I was I was pleased to see that the people who were commenting over here on Breitbart, where this column is, seem to not be taken in by it. They're no. saying, "What are you doing? You're carrying water they for Jeb Bush." Is, yeah. They call him everything, which is I mean, which which is what he deserves. He's coming on there, and again. He's not speaking from a position of power or influence or anything. He's saying basically, those of you who have not taken sides yet, you matter. I mean, I'm sorry. We're at a stage where if you haven't taken a side in a serious in, in this kind of America where we live in today, and I'm not talking about political party, to hell with that. I'm talking about where you stand. Do you stand or not? So someone writes here, you know, for the good of the party wasn't that wasn't that slogan for the Soviets? Yes, you know, party, 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 party. Enough of that crap. There are individual, there are good individual leaders, and if they're worth voting for, vote for them individually. There, you know, I mean, it's, it's not about, we're not going to vote Republican or GOP this time. Right. To hell with them. Right now, um, this this is interesting because he talks about how someone who's a self-conscious conservative, he says, I don't know what that means. Yeah. I mean, what does it mean? He says it's someone who proudly expresses beliefs not to support a cause, but to separate oneself from people who are on your side. <laughs> now, I think that's a purpose. No, and, and that's the whole point. He couldn't imagine no. that Ted Cruz's purpose might be just because he actually believes what he says. Yes, he and he's going to do you know why? those things. Because Greg doesn't believe in what he says. Because Greg is always reminding you, don't take me seriously. Do not take me seriously. That's his whole shtick. And I won't take you seriously. Don't take me seriously, and I don't take anything seriously, and I don't want you to take anything seriously. It's like, uh, no thanks, Greg. Believe it or not, we are just about out of time here. If you want to continue this discussion, please go over to my blog at don'tletitgo.com, and there you can find the links to all the stories we've talked about today. Also, if you go over there and you leave us a contribution or you make a little purchase through the Amazon link, we will not mind that either. Our Buttered Coffee Fund thanks you very much for it. Everyone, thank you for joining in tonight, and thanks to those of you who called in as well. And we will talk to you on Tuesday night, 8 p.m. Pacific Time, 11 p.m. Eastern. We'll be right back here. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Thanks, everyone. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.